Welcome to another live interview from Strange Loop 2022. In this series, we are having a chat with the awesome crowd at the conference to learn more about their interesting projects. So today we have Jared with us, who is a software engineer. How are you, Jared, today? I'm doing well. Thank oh, how was this half first day of the conference for you? It's been going well. Did yeah. you see already like an interesting talk? Yeah, saw the, uh, the keynote this morning. That was nice. Oh, cool. That's just the beginning, right? It's a little bit early, right, to judge on all the talks that we're going to have. Is this your first Strange Loop? No, I came for the first time in 2017 when ElmConf was connected to Strange Loop. Oh, yeah. Well. Yes. So that was the only time the ElmConf was connected? I think the last time was 2019. So I went 2017, 2018, 2019, and then this is my first year back since is that the Elm Conf still going on independently? Uh, there are some Elm Conferences. The one that is attached to here, I don't think, has started back up. Okay. But there is like a, a maybe a worldwide or like a nationwide Elm Conference one can go. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's a, an online meetup that happens that solves some of that space. Too. Okay. So we kind of gave away a little bit of the background and talking about Elm, but can you tell us about your experience, maybe school? where you come from. Sure. Yeah, I went to the University in Southern Indiana in Evansville and I studied computer science. I got out of college and started working at a C-sharp shop and was enjoying it well enough. Learned JavaScript around the same time. Got really into that. Got really interested in the front end and being able to look at interaction, user experience, things like that. And, and then I kind of switched jobs, started working in healthcare, became a little more responsible for a team. And so I started looking at, at alternatives to JavaScript. So around that time, I was just kind of tired of development, to be honest. I took a break in 2014, backpacks around Thailand for a month and then came back, rested up, went back to work, but I didn't change anything about the work at the time. I was searching, but since nothing had changed, I still felt that, what I called JavaScript fatigue. Uh, and so I, I then discovered Elm, and like I mentioned, ElmConf was one of my first interactions with Elm. I hadn't used it much other than doing a few examples of guys, but I thought, you know, what the heck, I'll come to the conference, get to know more about it, and maybe it'll kind of jumpstart me to, to get more into it. Okay, so maybe that, like one year off, kind of gave you the energy or like the mindset to think broadly and uh, change direction? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it obviously still took some time because it was 2014 when I took the time off, and then it wasn't in, until 2017 when I decided to, you know, to take a leap into learning something other than what I had been doing, you know, and start to really make a change. So I think you know, I allowed it to weather probably more longer than I should have, but you know, I was excited. And well, being in Strange Loop, being at ElmConf, I met a lot of people, was introduced to new ideas, new ways of thinking and developing in. Yeah, I definitely re-energized Yeah, you briefly touched on the JavaScript fatigue. So what are the symptoms for others if you want to describe that in 
and have them realize if they are sick somehow <laughs> and what are the symptoms of JavaScript fatigue? Well, I don't know that I have a, a clinical definition, but <laughs> what, what it, it came to for me was three things. There was overload because I was thinking about all of the decisions that I had to make when writing JavaScript. If I'm starting a project, I need to think about what framework I'm going to take, libraries I'm going to use, languages I'm going to use, right? And so there are all these different decisions and, and then you have to kind of meld these things together. And I felt a pound and overwhelmed. All right. Okay. So you said you discovered Elm, then you started growing in this new ecosystem. What now that it's like a few years already that you're in, I'm probably an you can consider yourself an expert perhaps with Elm. Yeah. Or, or close to that. What features would you definitely miss from Helm if you have to go back or change to another framework? What thing would be absolutely the feature you're going to miss the most? Oh man, it's hard to pin down to it. One thing, I will, I'll tell you a little bit about where I started with. What interests me in the beginning was I found that when I was working on, say, a Node.js project, and any time going back to this overload was I would be looking at the, the different versions of the tools, the libraries, frameworks that I'm using, and then I would need to do some upgrades, right? Go to the next version and trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to change to upgrade this? Wait, how does that interact with this other library that I have? And then, oh wait, that five other things that I use are also tied into that, right? So again, that kind of overload, that overwhelming aspect of trying to do this, what seems like it should be a simple thing, became overwhelming. And so I, I found that Elm has enforced semantic version in the packages. So what that means is if I change a major version, I know there will be a breaking API change, but the compiler will tell me where all of those changes are. And it has nice error messages. So I'm not, I just go to the error message. I fix the thing. I go to the next error message. I fix the thing and then do that a few times and then it's done, right? I've upgraded now. And, and so I found, I found that to be interesting. And then when I actually used it, I found it to be true to its work, right? Yeah. But this, this guarantee, as well as the reliability of the language and, and the runtime. And so those things really helped me to get over the fatigue of the upgrades, the versions, the, the just everyday use of whatever thing I'm trying to build, instead of worrying about, I need to think about null or undefined, I can think about what is the business trying to do? How can I solve that problem? Yeah. And if I make a mistake, the compiler will let me know. You know, I have a friend, so. What, do you use any particular IDE? Uh, or is there like a particular IDE that normally Elm developers like more than others? I think there are a few that folks regularly use. VS Code is probably the biggest one now, but I use Atom, which is going by the wayside, but it still works fine for me. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a particular recommendation in that area, but IntelliJ has an L plugin with folks. Okay. It is also nice. So right on the other side, what would be one thing in Elm that we, we would probably likely change? Something that you don't like? See. It's tough. I can't think of a, 
a single thing that I would change per se. I think that it's kind of a sweet spot for me anyway. I understand it's not for every lab, of course, but the, the set of constraints that obviously has trade-offs, but I think that if you buy into that system, then you get a, a level of new features that you can do and new things that you can accomplish because of that. So for example, with another thing that I have with JavaScript would be optimization. So like, you know, asset size, for example. I will be trying to figure out how to break apart my application, let's say front end to building JavaScript. And you're trying to break it apart and, or figure out what are my dependencies? What am I using for these dependencies? How do I simplify this down to what I need to ship it to make it run in production? Uh, with Elm, because of the guarantees that it has, you get this ability to just use this dash dash optimize when you're building it. And it will take out down to the function module level and the function level, only the things that you actually use in your application. So I find that to be pretty, pretty powerful thing, but it's only available because Elm sets limitations on how you interact with the language and what packages are available. Okay. So it's been almost four years since Elm 0.19 release. So I remember reading articles they made on a hacker news at the point because it was controversial with breaking changes and pe some people were complaining. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know from somebody who is an Elm uh, developer, uh, how it all ended up. So people were thinking when we a fork is near because we want to fix the situation, we want to keep using the features that we were used to and not changing stuff. So did that happen, that fork, or people are now settled and they're using their 19? That's a good question. I think there are two different ways that people found that issue and how they've addressed it. So there are people who are using the language sort of as it was designed, and they would do the upgrade and then see any errors both remain. There was a tool Elm upgrade that they could use that would accomplish a lot of the straightforward changes. But anything that will remain, again, so like I was talking about earlier, you let the compiler kind of guide you to what issues you have. You look at it, fix that issue, go to the next one. And I, I don't know the different code bases, how long that would take, but it, let's say maybe a way to do that upgrade. And then you move on. Right? And then there's another camp where I think folks wanted to do things with L that it was not until used for, for example, to directly interact with some JavaScript or run some JavaScript from within a package. And so those folks had a, a more difficult time because they circumvented uh, the design of Elm, which I get to want to try it. You like the language, you like the features, but maybe you want to go a little bit further. But that by doing that, then it limits the ability to do things like the asset optimization that I mentioned that earlier. So I think, you know, if you use the tool for what it is meant to be used for, then you have a pretty good time. If you circumvented it, trying to, to push those boundaries, which is still interesting. I don't think it's a bad approach. It's just, yeah, you may not, you might find that there's a dead end because now those things that we relied on, which were not documented, they were not intended to be used publicly, have now changed, then, you know, you have to pivot. 
All right. So is there anything else that we didn't touch on today that you want to mention? Maybe something that you've been doing, any late ideas or projects you've been doing? So I, I was working on a project that I started a blog and was writing some, some Elm tutorials and was getting started. And I kind of let that go. And so I've been writing some more recently. I'm looking to publish some of those things soon uh -huh. and get back into that. So that's one thing. I use Elm at work. Thing. Just I hired a couple of developers. And so I've been teaching the folks who do not know Elm, how to write Elm and, uh, and bringing them up to speed. So that's something that is an everyday thing. So yeah, well, cool. So is a book coming anytime soon? Oh, I don't know about a book. That, that may be a little bit more ambitious than I would commit to at this moment, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe there's room for that? There's room. Well, okay. So Jared, thanks again for your time today, missing maybe a talk to have this chat together. It was very interesting to know and learn a little bit about the Elm world and hear what's going on there. Yeah, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you if anyone has any question? Sure, yeah. Email me at at Jared, J-A-R-D-M-Smith.com. Okay, I'll get it on the show notes. So that sounds easier. Yeah, and I'm absence, A-B-S-Y-N-C-E on Twitter. Twitter or email, email best Twitter second. All right, very good. Then, yeah, well, thank you very much again and have a great conference. All right, thanks. You're welcome.